Well, good morning, church. Uh, so great to see you. So great to have so many online who are joining us today as we continue this sermon series called Come to the Feast. We've been looking at one of the most important themes in the Bible, and that is that God offers us a spiritual feast through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a feast of God's love and kindness, a feast of his grace and forgiveness, a feast of truth and power, a feast of abundant life and eternal life. But unfortunately, as we've seen in this series and as we'll see today, so often we can miss out on the feast. We can turn to, to, to alternatives like, like spiritual junk food that don't really satisfy uh, the deepest hunger in our heart. And so, like last week, we talked about ridding ourselves of those, we, those things. This week, we want to come back to Jesus, who is the bread of life. I invite you to have uh, our passage open in front of you. It's from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, a long uh, chapter, a challenging chapter. And we're just going to read six verses in the middle of it. We're going to eavesdrop on uh, an extended conversation that Jesus has with some of the crowds who had just the day before enjoyed a miraculous lunch that Jesus has served. And, and, and as you'll see, food is still on their minds. And so John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35, hear the word of the Lord. So they asked, uh, Jesus, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God bless the reading of his word. I don't know about you, but one of the things I love in life, it's going to sound unusual, is a well-stocked first aid kit. We have some of those at the church, and from time to time, I find myself benefiting from them. I mean, instead of just maybe like one size of Band-Aids like I might have at my house at a particular time, there's all different sizes. There's these little tubes of triple antibiotic uh, ointment. Not single, not double, but triple antibiotic ointment. And uh, it's there to treat whatever wound I get in the course of doing my work, which of course, it's paper cuts. I get a lot of paper cuts. And uh, I know, I know, it's a, it's a sacrifice. But I do it for you and I do it for the Lord. And, and uh, you know, I, I love a well-stocked first aid kit. Uh, but I was thinking first aid kits are, are helpful when wounds are small, when the patient is conscious, and when the patient is competent to self-administer. Right? But what if the wound is life-threatening? What if the patient is either not conscious or not competent or both to, to treat themselves. What I want us to consider this morning is the challenging fact that human beings possess a wound for which there is no triple antibiotic ointment. Human beings have a wound for which there is no band-aid large enough or strong enough. We have a wound that we cannot heal. I think that's the problem that we'll confront in this passage. 
And Jesus, like a loving physician, is going to help us realize what's, what's wrong with us. And then he's going to point us in the direction of true healing. And I think this is important because in our culture, maybe you've noticed, uh, we tend to prioritize often physical health over spiritual health. Have you noticed that? You can walk into a bookstore, go to the magazine section, and you'll find a magazine called Men's Health. You'll find a magazine called Women's Health. You'll find a magazine called Healthy. You'll find a magazine called Healthy Aging. That sounds like an oxymoron to me. You'll find a magazine called Prevention, right? We are a a culture that seems to be incredibly motivated to stay physically healthy, and by and large, that's a great thing. But what about our spiritual health? Not our mortal bodies, but our uh, eternal souls. What would Dr. Jesus say to us about our spiritual health? What would his diagnosis be? Well, I think this passage gives us the bad news first. You might say this passage helps us to confront the diagnosis that we fear. It's a diagnosis we fear, but it's a diagnosis that we need to hear. Nobody likes to get a bad diagnosis, but believe it or not, there are things worse. And that is not realizing how sick you are. And so in this passage, the diagnosis, I think, is twofold. First, through Jesus' interaction with his conversation partners, I think one of the things that Jesus is going to suggest is that they are suffering from a confused mind. They're suffering from confusion. You ever notice when uh, a a nurse, a a physician, an EMT is trying to ascertain the the mental health of an accident uh, victim, they'll they'll ask them what day it is or what year it is or maybe who the the president is. What what are they trying to do? They're trying to see if all those neurons up there are firing correctly. But, But what if oftentimes what we suffer from is not mental confusion, but spiritual confusion. What if we lose our spiritual bearings? You see, sometimes what we do when we lose our spiritual bearings, when we grow spiritually confused, is we amplify the less important and we minimize or even flat out deny the most important truths our minds depend upon. And I think that's what's happening in John chapter six. So let me just set a little bit of context for you. It's been a really busy two days for Jesus by the time we get to our passage. As I look um, in my Bible, I have these little section headings, and I see two uh, very miraculous things that happen on the front part of John chapter 6. First of all, on the previous day, Jesus' disciples watched him meet the deep physical needs of people when he fed 5,000 people, and all he had to go from was a little boy's lunch. The people were so thrilled, they they wanted to make Jesus king, Jesus for president, Uh, let's have more of this, you know, and, but Jesus instead, as he often did, he withdrew to the mountains, his disciples crossed the lake to get back to their home base in Capernaum, but unfortunately when his disciples were in a boat on the lake, then uh, a storm arose and they were very fatigued from battling the storm, they were very afraid of what might happen to them, and just as Jesus had met physical needs that very day, He met the emotional needs of his disciples when he actually walked across the water and got in the boat with them and was with them as they got safely to shore. Jesus helped them face the deep fears that they were struggling with. As I just mentioned, Jesus is by now something of a celebrity uh, in the district around the Sea of Galilee. He had a fan club that was forming. Some people were even asking the question, a question that had been asked many times before, but could this guy actually be the Messiah? 
So the people that Jesus fed the previous day have stalked him all the way to Capernaum. And uh, perhaps some of them are looking for another free meal. Uh, But Jesus tells them in verse 27 that what they should really be concerned with is uh, not physical food that's here today and gone tomorrow, but a different kind of food. But the people don't get it. They are confused. In fact, they put Jesus on the spot. I think they reveal an inner selfishness. I think they reveal an inner doubt when they asked Jesus in verse 30 for yet another sign, they just experienced an amazing sign the day before, but what do they say in verse 30? So they asked him, what sign then, uh, that word sign, uh, what, what miraculous act that points to your identity, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And what have you done for us lately, Jesus? And then they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And once again, they're curious. They want to see if Jesus is, might be the Messiah. But any new Messiah is going to have to pass the Messiah test. And the bar for the Messiah test is Moses. If you want to pretend like you're the Messiah, if you want to be the Messiah, then you're going to have to exceed what Moses did. And Moses, Moses was a big deal. Right? Moses had once called down uh, repeatedly manna from heaven. You remember that story from Exodus 16? God caused a kind of miraculous bread uh, to fall down from the sky. And in Hebrew, uh, they, they, the people walked around and said, man who, man who, which in Hebrew means what is it, what is it? And uh, man who became manna. Uh, in other words, this food had a supernatural origin. You couldn't buy it at, at Kroger. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't manufacture it. You could only receive it from God. And so the people are basically saying, Moses, we know he was the real deal because Moses is the one who gave us bread from heaven. Jesus, you surely don't think you're as big a deal as Moses is, do you? Remember I said how a medical person will ask simple questions to test mental fitness? I want us to think about the theological fitness of these people. Yes, it's true, Moses was no slouch. But what are the people doing? They're magnifying Moses, and by extension, they are minimizing Jesus. They're shrinking Jesus. And so Jesus begins to address mental confusion in verse 32. What does he say? He says emphatically, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who past tense has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives present tense you the true bread from heaven. Okay, Jesus is saying some really significant things to correct their misunderstanding here. First of all, he's saying it wasn't Moses that made made bread rain, uh, rain from heaven. That was God's doing. God sent miraculous bread, okay? But now God is sending you not physical bread, but the true bread from heaven. And I'm sure people were looking around going, man, who? Man, who? What, what are you talking about? What is it? Who is it? And, uh, and I don't want you to miss the, the, the significance of their confusion. Because the people are comparing Moses to Jesus, and they're making Jesus look small in comparison where Moses, if he could have appeared before them at that moment like he did at the transfiguration, Moses would say, you know, I'm nothing compared to Jesus. I mean, Moses would say, if I'm anything, I'm just that little piece of chicken teriyaki on a toothpick that somebody hands you in the food court. That's all I am. I I am not the, the main dish. I'm not the main thing. 
But what were they doing? They were magnifying Moses, and more significantly, they were minimizing Jesus. I was thinking about a toy my brother and I had when we were kids back in the 1970s, and the name of the toy was Shrinky Dinks. I'm not, I'm not joking. That was the name of the toy. Uh, and if I remember correctly, you would, you would draw on these large pieces of, of plastic and then uh, or color on them, and then you would put them in the oven, and uh, over a period of, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, these large pieces of plastic would shrink down to size, and you would use them to make, like, uh, keychains. And truly, as the box says, it was fun for everybody. Uh, that, if you're wondering, kids, that's what we did for fun uh, in the 1970s. Now, isn't that what they were doing to Jesus? Shrinking him down to size? Let me ask a more pertinent question for us. Isn't that what we do to Jesus when we let the attractions of this world loom large and cause Jesus to look small by comparison? That's a huge problem with our neurons. That's a huge problem with our mental, spiritual wiring when we hype the finite things of our life and shrink the infinite Lord. When we focus more on the bread in our hands right now than the bread of life. When we live our lives in search of that quick fix, the the physical things we can touch and taste and experience that are gonna bring us what we think is infinite meaning, infinite joy, infinite fulfillment, and it never does. Let me ask you a question. How many times in your life have you began a sentence or began a thought with these four words? If only I could. If only I could. Think about that over the course of your life. If only I could take these training wheels off and actually ride this bike. If only I could get braces. If only I could get my braces off. If only I could get a driver's license. What, if only I could get a car. What good is a driver's license without a car? If only I could graduate. If only I could get married. If only I could start a family. If only I could get a job. If only I could get a better job. If only I could get rid of this job. If, 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 if only I could get my kids through college. If only I could get my kids off my cell phone plan. If only I could get on my kids' cell phone plan. If only, if only, if only. Now, some of the things I mentioned are trivial. Some of them are, are very important and very meaningful. I don't mean to trivialize them, but the problem comes when we continue to hype the next big if only on our list. The thing we think will make us ultimately happy, give us infinite meaning. We focus on the finite and we miss the infinite. We magnify the finite and we shrink Jesus. Our thinking is faulty. Those meals won't ultimately satisfy us. So we have these confused minds, but there's a second part of the diagnosis, and that is we have broken souls. Broken souls. You know, when you read Exodus, the miracle of manna is amazing. It's an incredible gift from God. It sustained the people physically. They never would have got from captivity in Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey in Israel if it hadn't been for that provision of manna in the land between. 
The Bible teaches us never to look down on the importance of physical bread. In the Lord's Prayer, we are taught to pray for daily bread. We are taught to share our material goods with people in need. The Bible never looks down on that. But at the same time, Jesus teaches us in the wilderness, he quotes scripture, he says, but men and women shall not live on bread alone. Physical bread is crucial, in other words, it keeps our bodies alive, but it doesn't save our souls. And as important as Moses is, as important as manna is, manna will not resuscitate a dying soul. Only Jesus can do that. And this is the beautiful promise he's unfolding for us in in verse 33. For the bread of God, the, the true bread that Jesus says, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice that. Gives life to the world. In other words, God used Moses to feed the children of Israel physically while they traveled through the wilderness. It was God's gift sent down from heaven. But but relatively speaking, it fed a relatively small group of people for a relatively small period of time. As one commentator puts it, that that bread, manna, was perishable. In fact, if you tried to save it, it 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 would rot. Manna had an expiration date. But Jesus, in verse 32, says he's the true bread. He's come to give true life not just to one group of people in one season of life, but true life to the whole world. Not perishable food, but eternal food. John 3.16, for the whole world, for God so loved the whole world. And that, friends, is the answer to the diagnosis. That is the prescription that we need. And that prescription is living bread. Living bread. Jesus is going to bring this home to us uh, at the, the last verse in our passage. And that verse is verse 35. Jesus makes a number of I am statements in the Gospel of John. And here's one of them. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you're thinking about the moment. You're thinking about lunchtime. You're thinking about the momentary pleasure of bread on your lips, but as he says in verse 49, your fathers ate that kind of bread and they died. Their mortal bodies passed away. But I'm offering you living bread. If your whole life is about pleasing your taste buds, if your whole life is about what tastes and sounds and feels pleasurable right now, you'll only be satisfied for the moment. But if you get the bigger picture, you can get a filling not just of your stomach, but a deep fulfillment of your soul. And for that, we need a different kind of bread. And and Jesus will go on, uh, as you can see, chapter six goes on, and he'll say some things that are very controversial, people really struggle with. In fact, a lot of Jesus' followers left him uh, in in John chapter six because of what he said. And and I think this is especially true in uh, what he says in verse 53. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And there were people who said, that, that sounds vampire-like. That, that, I don't know, you know. And, and, and maybe you're saying, why would Jesus speak so graphically here? Well, I think there are a couple reasons. Jesus uh, is giving us medicine. He's giving us living bread. And we need to know that this medicine will cost him everything. Think about this. A, a gazelle, in a sense, gives its life to feed the lion, Right? Jesus is going to have to give his life to be our living bread. 
Jesus is, is going to become the main course. Jesus didn't come to earth to do a series of spiritual retreats for us. Jesus didn't come to earth to write a book and do a series of book signings. Jesus came to earth to give his life, his torn flesh, his spilled blood pouring out from his forehead, from his hands, from his feet, from his back, from his side. When Jesus speaks about flesh and blood, that is what will be required of him. But I think there's a second reason why Jesus speaks so graphically about eating and drinking his flesh and blood. And I think it's because Jesus is trying to give us this metaphor that that Jesus feeding us spiritually has strong similarities with, with (coughs) with us feeding on food. Now let's be honest, most of us tend to think about food a lot of the time and that's actually a good thing uh, because if we stop eating, we eventually will stop living. Eating is essential. But what if we approach Jesus in the same way? In other words, what if we wake up in the morning not just thinking about physical hunger, what's for breakfast, but thinking about our spiritual hunger? What if we feed on him by faith, take Jesus' presence into us, his truth into us, his Holy Spirit into us, his life in us, his blood in a sense pouring through our veins? What if, as verse 56 says, we remain in him or we abide in him? What if he's on our minds, in our mouths, on our lips, in our hearts, uh, moving through our hands in our feet to serve others? I mean, look what Jesus says in verse 57. He says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Isn't that powerful? The one who feeds on Jesus, the bread of life, will have a life uh, unlike any other kind of life because Jesus is living through them. And so friends, I wanna ask you this question. What kind of food, if you will, is sustaining you right now? What kind of food are you focused on? Now, just being honest here, so often when I think about literal food, I think about the moment. I don't think about what will ultimately be best for me. I think about what I want, what I'm hungry for. So often, let's say it's Thursday at noon, I think about what lunch boy wants. And what lunch boy wants is barbecue with extra sauce. And hey, can I get two of those rolls instead of one? Uh, Do you have any butter? Oh, that's great. How about honey? Do you have some honey too? Thank you. Uh, Yeah, make it a large sweet tea. How about some apple cobbler? Hey, would you mind? You see that little crust right there? Yeah, could you get me that too? Oh, it looks like there's some peaches underneath it. Could you get that as well? I think about what lunch boy wants. But lunch boy always turns into afternoon boy. It just works that way. An afternoon boy wants to go into like a food coma and just get a blankie and and lay down on the floor of his office. And I think that physical situation has a spiritual parallel. We we need to learn to ask not just what am I hungry for right now, but what will actually fuel me? What will actually sustain me later? How do you do that? Well, these are just some some beginning thoughts on that important question. But I think, you know, maybe one of the things we can do is just regularly confess that the things we crave won't heal our souls. I think there's some kind of realism about that, spiritual realism, when we say, Lord, right now I crave this, and if, it's o- if only this, and if only that, but, but those things won't really uh, heal my soul. Those things won't uh, cause me to fulfill your mission for me. 
I think another thing we can do is just when we pray, we can, we can exercise a kind of dependence. Some people, there's nothing magical about this, but I, I often do this, maybe you do as well. Sometimes just, just when you're praying, just kind of putting your hands, palms up. It's kind of like saying, my, my hands are empty. And I, I, what I need, only you can give. And so I'm not clutching to these toys to give me happiness. No, I come empty-handed and I ask you to give me the bread of life. Another thing that we can do is just to share the love that he gives with somebody else. When we're sharing his love, it's a reminder of what we both truly need to survive. The bread of life. No substitute for the bread of life. Tony Campolo uh, once shared a story from his childhood. Uh, he grew up in a, in a Baptist church and his church was taking communion one particular Sunday. And uh, he says he was probably about seven years old. And he began to become aware that there was a young woman in the pew in front of him who was just sobbing and shaking. And it happened right after the minister read a passage of scripture that I've read before, before uh, administering communion. And it's from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 27 says, Whoever shall eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What I take that to mean is not whoever takes it having committed sins, because we've all committed sins, but whoever takes the Lord's Supper casually or flippantly or cynically, you know, is, is inviting judgment. Uh, we should always take communion humbly and, and prayerfully. But this particular woman was really jolted by those words the pastor read from Scripture. And she began to think, presumably, that her life was in such bad shape she was such a sinful person that if she took communion, she would take it unworthily. And so she's sobbing and shaking and crying, and the communion plate is passed down her row with its small pieces of bread on it, and she just kind of waves it away and lowers her head in despair. And seven-year-old Tony sitting on the pew, you know, like kids do, trying to figure this out, what in the world's going on. And right at that moment, he watches his father, who was a Sicilian immigrant, and he leans forward, and in his broken English, he says very sternly, take it, girl. It was meant for you. Do you hear me? Take it, girl. And Tony said the young woman raised her head and nodded. And then she took the bread and she ate it. His little seven-year-old eyes watching the whole thing. And he later reflected, I knew at that moment that some kind of heavy burden had been lifted off her. Friends, so often we can spend our lives reading self-help books and listening to podcasts and trying out different schemes to make us more productive and successful and healthy and happy. And there's limited good in those things, but none of those things can cure the deep wound of sin and shame in our soul. Nothing less than the body and blood of Jesus Christ will do that. So take it, girl. <laughs> take it. This is the food our souls are starving for. The things that look tasty to us right now will make us sluggish later. Or worse, like the tempter gave that apple right to Adam and Eve. It looked so inviting, but it introduced spiritual poison into our world. 
The things that look tasty to us right now make Jesus look small by comparison in our eyes. But today, we're asking God to help us see clearly. We're asking God to shrink down the concerns of the day and to magnify our Savior. We're asking God to help us fast from the things that taste good for a moment but make us sick. And we're asking God to help us come to the feast, to feast on the bread of life. I love the way the old song puts it, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. We could think of no better first application of this passage, this sermon, than to take communion, to take the Lord's Supper, and John's gonna come and lead us.